Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we've been preaching through the book of Genesis, and it's been awesome. And, uh, and we've, been, we, we've had several weeks now uh, in the story of Jacob, and we'll have several weeks in, in the story of Joseph coming up. But we've been in the story of Jacob. And if you remember uh, Jacob's story, you remember Jacob was born as a twin. He was born second, but he really wanted to be born first. And so he came out of the womb even, grasping the heel of his older brother, uh, and uh, had in, now his entire life was really set against his brother, uh, was just struggling to want to, to be the elder brother, to want to receive the blessing. And we saw in Jacob's story how, uh, as, as uh, was his nature, he was a deceiver, a cheater, and he cheated his older brother out of uh, his birthright and out of the blessing from his uh, aging father, he, with his mother, schemed a plan to do so. And, uh, and as a result, he had to flee because his older brother wanted to kill him. And so he, he runs away uh, for his life, uh, having stolen this blessing. He, he meets God, sees a ladder uh, that's connected from earth uh, to heaven, and, uh, and then goes uh, to his uh, uncle Laban, where he... Uh, finds um, not one wife, but two wives, both Rachel and Leah, and uh, has, uh, has children with them. And um, he begins to prosper. And uh, the way that he prospers is he continues to cheat and scheme and connive uh, his uncle Laban until he has lots of possessions and lots of children with uh, his wives and servants. And, uh, and then God says to him, finally, uh, after about 20 years, it's time to return. It's time to go back home, Jacob. And, uh, and so Jacob gathers his family and everything he has, and he heads back towards the land of Canaan. But there's a problem. He knows that who's waiting for him there? His brother. His brother Esau is waiting for him. He's been waiting for 20 years to get his revenge, and Jacob knows it. And so uh, Jacob devises a scheme, devises a plan. He's going to take these extravagant gifts of animals and all kinds of um, treasures, and he sends them ahead of him uh, in waves and tells the, the servants that he sends with him to say, these are from Jacob. He's coming to see you. He wants to bless you. Um, and uh, so he sends wave after wave of these gifts ahead of him, thinking, I'm going to appease my brother. I'm going to try to buy him off. Maybe he, will, um, maybe he would be willing to forgive me because of all this. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, Jacob, uh, we find on the night before he is to meet his brother, he uh, takes his children and his wives and uh, sends them across the river, and he's left alone. 
And now it's the night before this encounter that's going to uh, probably going to define the rest of his life. What will happen? And that's where we pick up the story. So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'm going to read for us from Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22. This is the word of the Lord for you this morning. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it um, never fades or perishes. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces into the deepest parts of us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, speak now through the preaching of your word to us. Uh, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And would you be seated, please? I want to be... Um, honest with you, and that I really struggled with this sermon as I was preparing it. Uh, even yesterday morning, I was wrestling with the Lord in prayer over uh, this sermon uh, because it was clear to me, it's easy for me to see what this passage was saying, but I couldn't figure out why it was saying it, if that makes any sense. Why does Jacob wrestling with God matter for us? Why did God include this event from Jacob's life in the Bible? Why should we care? Why should you listen to a sermon on it? And as I wrestled with those things, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see something from Hosea chapter 12 that I had read earlier in the week but hadn't seen. And, uh, and, and it helped me. Um, Hosea lived about a thousand years after Jacob and Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel, the, the nation that ultimately descended from Jacob, the one named after him. And in chapter 12, Hosea recalls this account, uh, from the life of Jacob. And he tells them, 
Here's why this matters. Here's the application. And so look at what it says. Hosea 12 says, Jacob in the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. And here's the application. Here's the application. So you, you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. It hit me that just as God had told Jacob that it was time to return, it was time to come home, so too he told his people through Hosea, and he tells us, by God's help, return. It's time to return. It's time to come home. That's what I believe is the message that God wants someone to hear this morning. It's time to return. It's time to come home. You know, you remember with COVID how uh, churches everywhere experienced a sifting of their membership and of their people coming to church, right? So we had COVID, things shut down, and then there was just all this anxiety about uh, um, the disease. And, uh, and so we, um, we saw people who didn't want to come to church. And uh, we had online worship and um, people didn't want to be around others. And then, but then it finally kind of became time. We realized that this, this is now passing and it's time to call people to return, to come back to church. And, uh, and many people heard that call and did return, but many people didn't. Even in this church, we had many people who didn't come back after covid and what it revealed was it, it wasn't, it actually wasn't so much about attending church, but rather wanting to seek the Lord, right? Striving after the Lord and, and returning to him. So you're here this morning and that's wonderful, right? You've returned to church, but have you, or do you need to return to the Lord? Do you still need to return to the Lord? Have you been running from God? Have you been running from something that he's been calling you to do? Have you been running because of a fear of something? Just like Jacob feared his brother Esau, you too have been in fear. Have you been running from God because you can't see a way forward in a situation? Have you been running from the Lord um, because of some sin in your life that has uh, a stranglehold on you? It's interesting, I learned this week that um, Greyhound has been uh, giving away free bus tickets for uh, like two decades now. And they give away free bus tickets um, to runaway children. In order to get this ticket, you have to uh, call the runaway hotline. You have to be willing to be registered as a runaway child. Uh, and then they uh, contact your parents and they uh, um, then uh, uh, begin to secure resources for you to be able to uh, come home. And they give you a free ticket home and they get counseling for you when you get back. And, 
And it's just a beautiful thing, right? Well, this morning I'm giving you a free ticket to come home. But if you're going to take this free ticket, there's going to have to be some, some things that go along with it. You're going to have to maybe wrestle with God. So it's time to return. It's time to come home. Jacob heard that call from the Lord and he returned home. But on the edge of the land of promise, getting ready, ready to, to enter in, as he was there by himself that night, um, maybe he heard an announcer say, let's get ready to rumble, right? Um, because usually when you're returning home, there's some wrestling that has to take place. Jacob had to wrestle with God and his grace as he returned home. And so do we. So are you ready to rumble? Take your sermon outline. Uh, it's on the inside cover of your bulletin. It's, it's like your scorecard for the morning, right? Uh, round one, wrestling with God from self-sufficiency to dependence. Jacob was a self-sufficient man. Jacob was, was strong. He was physically strong. You remember, uh, Ray alluded to this, how when he came and first met Rachel at a well, that there was this large stone over the well. And all by himself, he rolled this huge stone uh, off of the well. Um, Jacob was, was, uh, was strong. Uh, but Jacob was um, also smart. He was cunning. He knew how to work the system to his favor. Uh, Jacob had become wealthy off his uncle Laban. At one point, if you read that story, uh, he gives, uh, he says, well, God blessed me, right, with all of this stuff. But um, he kind of says it in the way that a lot of people say it, like, God's really blessed me, by which they mean God's really blessed how hard I've worked, right? God's really, really blessed my efforts, um, and uh, even in his return to Canaan, Jacob is hedging his bets, sending extraordinary gifts ahead of himself uh, to Esau, hoping uh, that they will uh, appease him, trying to buy him off. But deep down, I think Jacob knew that they wouldn't work. I think Jacob knew, you know, that, that Esau was like, I'm not going to be deceived by him again. Not, not one more time. Uh, and in fact, when, um, when, uh, when, when Jacob sends those gifts, uh, messengers come back from Esau uh, and, and tell Jacob, hey, yeah, Esau is on his way and he's coming with 400 men. I don't think those men were coming to throw a party, right? Uh, Jacob is in fear of his life. And we see a little chink in Jacob's self-sufficient armor in the passage um, because he, it reveals that he's most worried about who? He's most worried about the women and the children, right? His wives and his kids. And, uh, and, and he sends them across uh, the, um, the stream and he's left all by himself on this final night of, of reckoning. And, uh, and as he's all alone in the dark, all of a sudden, he is assaulted by someone. Out of nowhere, this man leaps on him and begins to wrestle with him and tangle with him. And he's caught up in this all-night wrestling match. And again, we see his physical strength 
right? The fact that he wrestles with this man all night and, and, uh, and they, all the way into the morning and it's still uh, a draw. It's, it's like watching a soccer match for 90 minutes and at the end of 90 minutes, it's still zero to zero, right? Except this is interesting, right? Um, so who is this man who attacks Jacob? Who is this man? Um, some people say uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a real person. It was a dream, right? Or, or it was a myth. Uh, or some people say, this is, what, this is what was really happening. Jacob was spending all night in prayer. Right? He was wrestling with God in prayer. Um, but the most natural reading of the passage is that this was a real man. So who was he? Oh, you're reading the story and you might think, oh, maybe it's Esau, right? Like Esau got and and now has jumped him. Or maybe it's an assassin that Esau sent. Or maybe it's just some robber or something that that happened to to come along. Um, But as we read the Old Testament, and even we think back in the book of Genesis, we we realize that um, God has shown up to people. He has revealed himself to people in human form before. In fact, in the, in the very beginning of the Bible, it says God walked with Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. In Genesis chapter 18, it says that God appeared to Abraham and to Sarah as three visitors coming to, um, to their tent. And so as the passage unfolds, right, we learn with Jacob that this man is actually God himself. He's wrestling with God. You remember the the verses from Hosea? Uh, Hosea said that uh, in his manhood, uh, Jacob strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. Wait, wait, Wait a minute. Which one is it? Did Jacob wrestle with God or did he wrestle with an angel? Well, in the Old Testament, when it talks about the angel, in Hosea here, it's talking about the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is uh, the Old Testament's way of referring to what is called a Christophany, right? A Christophany, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. I'll say that again, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. So who was Jacob, uh, who was Jacob wrestling with? He was wrestling with Jesus. He was wrestling with Jesus, who is God. So this man whom Jacob uh, wrestles with, he discovers that he has a supernatural reserve of power. Right? It, it becomes obvious that he's, he's, he's holding himself back, right? intentionally withholding his power. Kind of like when, um, when you have little kids, Right? And they want to arm wrestle you. And so you're like, all right, come on, let's go. And you, and you, and you engulf their little hand with your hand. And you go, okay, ready? Go. You go, oh, 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 you're so strong. Oh, you might win. And you slam their hand down. Right? <laughs> if you're a good parent. Um, <laughs> except, except here, here it's, it's not a slam. Right? It, says, it says he touched his hip socket, which is interesting because that word touched, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Isaiah 6, 
where it says that an angel took a burning coal from the altar and touched it to Isaiah's lips. Just touched it, right? This, this, this man just taps his hip and immediately it's dislocated from its joint. And in that moment, what does Jacob realize? He realizes he is too powerful for me. I have no chance. And so what does Jacob do? He goes from wrestling to clinging. He just holds on for dear life. And, uh, and, and look again at verse 26. It says, then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's happened here? What? I mean, we have to ask the question, why, why did God wrestle with Jacob all night? I mean, intentionally withhold his power all night wrestle with Jacob to, to just at the very end do this thing, uh, touch his hip. Uh, why did he stretch this out the way he did? This is so important. Because all of Jacob's self-sufficient strength had to be broken down so that all he was left to be able to do was cling to God for blessing. All of Jacob's self-sufficient strength had to be broken down to all that was left for him to do was to cling to God for blessing. God says to, to Jacob, you have striven with me and have prevailed. What does it mean to strive with God? It sounds like when you strive with God, it sounds like you're fighting God or, or you're um, trying to earn somehow something from God. Um, but we, what this passage shows us is that to strive with God for his blessing means to rely on God, to be completely dependent on him. That's what Jesus meant in Luke 13 when he said, strive to enter through the narrow door. He says, um, for I tell you, um, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Striving means relying Striving means receiving the kingdom like a little child, completely dependent. That's also why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Not because you can't be rich and be a Christian, but because it is nigh unto impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because what do we know about rich people? Rich people don't have any needs, right? They're very self-sufficient. It's that whole thing at Christmas time. You say, what do you get the person who has everything? But the message of the gospel is that the one thing that you need to enter the kingdom of God is need. It is hard for self-sufficient, independent people to enter the kingdom of God. If you're going to return to God, you have to come empty-handed. You have to come stripped of your self-sufficiency and simply cling to Jesus for blessing. One commentator I read said, you have to have a dogged dependence like Jacob. A dogged dependence. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I was uh, talking to a guy uh, this week. He was telling me the story about um, how when he was a little boy, um, he, uh, he was actually scarred for life by this uh, traumatic event that he, his, his parents took him to a carnival, you know, like a state fair or county fair or whatever. And, uh, and um, somehow he was allowed to get on this ride. You know, those boats that like 
rock back and forth. And, uh, and he's just this, like this little tyke, you know, he's about like four or something or five. And, uh, and, and they, they put the lap bar down this big kind of fuzzy bar, but there's, there's no like strap. There's no buckle holding you in. It's just this bar. And he's so little that there's like this huge gaping, uh, amount of space between him and the bar. And this ride that this boat that goes right is the boat that also then goes around over in the air. And, uh, and he said, as he would get, get to the top, he started to feel himself coming up out of the seat. And then as the boat went around and did a full 360, he said, I just, I just clinged onto that bar and held on as long as I could and like closed my eyes and, and, uh, and prayed. It's clinging. It's all he could do. I was talking to another uh, guy this week who, um, I called him because his, uh, his sister died unexpectedly up, uh, up in Virginia. And so he had, um, driven up there to, uh, go to, uh, her funeral. And, um, and so I called him to, uh, you know, give my condolences to pray for him, to try to encourage him. And, uh, and when I called, it was just so beautiful because he said, pastor, thank, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you called. He said, God's teaching me something. Um, in my life, when hard things used to happen, I, I used to, the first thing I would do was I would go to other people and I'd be so glad, you know, I need people like you call me and, and console me. He said, for some reason, I'm learning, God's teaching me this time that the first thing I need to do is go to Jesus and cling to him. And so I'm really thankful that you called me. Thank you. And it's really comforting, but Jesus has got me. He's clinging to Jesus. Um, it's time to return. It's time to come home. It's time to quit all your self-reliant and self-sufficient struggling and cling to Jesus in complete dependence like your life depends on it. Because it does. Right, second, round, round two in this match, wrestling with God from scheming to confessing, right? Uh, Jacob says to this, to this man, to God, to Jesus, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then what, what he says next, what God says next is actually kind of surprising and not, maybe not expected. Um, it, uh, it's, he said to him, what is your name? What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Why is God asking him what his name is? Did God not know who he was wrestling with? Why is he asking him his name? Well, it's not, of course, because he knew who he was wrestling with. He asked him his name because he wanted Jacob to say it. You remember what Jacob's name means? Jacob's name means one who grabs the heel. It means one who schemes, who cheats. His name means liar. God is um, asking Jacob, who are you? You know, when Jacob tricked his aging father and stole the blessing from his brother, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Because he cheated me these, twi- these two times. By asking him his name, God was forcing Jacob to admit his sinfulness, right? I am Jacob, a deceiver from birth. 
Returning home for Jacob meant confessing his sin, not first and foremost to Esau or to his father, but to God. That's what King David prayed in Psalm 51. He, he prayed, um, you know, that uh, against you and you only have I sinned. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me, but against you, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What is your name? Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but now your name will be called Israel. Israel can either mean God strives or he strives with God. He says, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Look again at how uh, Hosea put it. He said, Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed. How did, how did he prevail? He wept and sought his favor. That's how he prevailed. Jacob prevailed by weeping and seeking God's favor. He prevailed because he confessed and he asked for forgiveness. One commentator I read put it beautifully. He said, the supplanter who struggled for everything was transformed into the suppliant who received grace. The supplanter became the suppliant. It's interesting, one of, one of the descendants of Jacob, 1,700 years later, will be uh, told by an angel, this man Joseph, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Names have power. Jacob was renamed. He was given a new identity. And so you too, if you belong to Christ, you have been given a new name, the name of Christ, Christian. You have a new identity. You are now in him. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I remember vividly when I was uh, in college going to a, a, a passion worship uh, conference in Nashville and sitting on the floor of this massive arena with, um, you know, thousands of people and, uh, the, uh, um, the, the band that was leading was leading, uh, a hymn. And I remember sitting on the floor of that arena singing my sin, my sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And just weeping right? because I had found God's favor. I'd experienced his grace. He wept and he sought his favor. Have you confessed to Jesus? Have you confessed to Jesus? Have you said to him, my name is Matt. I'm a sinner from birth, right? My name is Bill. I'm a sinner from birth. My name is Petra. I'm a sinner from birth, right? My name is Jim. I'm a sinner from birth. Have you confessed? My name is Audrey. I'm a sinner from birth. And in confessing, have you experienced, have you found his favor, his grace, his forgiveness? 
The Apostle John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then this fascinating thing happens. Starting in Genesis 32 and onward, Jacob is referred to by both names, which is kind of confusing because I thought his name was changed. He's now Israel, but he's referred to as both Jacob and Israel. And then the nation of Israel at times and the prophets are called Jacob and Israel. Why is that? What's going on there? In fact, in the, in the prophets, usually the nation is called Jacob when they're not walking in the ways of the Lord. And they're called Israel when they are walking in his ways. So what does that mean? Does that mean that salvation, their salvation depends on their works? No, what it means is that we are, as Martin Luther said, we are simul hustus et peccator. We are at the same time justified and a sinner. If you belong to Christ, you've been justified. You've, you are now, his righteousness is credited to you, right? And, and so you're a new creation. You're in Christ. The old has passed away, and yet there are still remnants of that old nature inside of you. You are at the same time justified and a sinner. You don't stop becoming a sinner the day you get saved. Uh, we will struggle with sin our whole lives until we go to glory. So what that means is repentance and confession are not just the things you do to enter the Christian life. Repentance and confession are the things you do throughout your Christian life. They are actually the way of, Christian, of the Christian life, continual repentance and confession. They're part of the rhythm of following Jesus. There's this debate over uh, Romans chapter 7, a book uh, of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans where he's very honest about his struggle with sin and how he doesn't do the things he wants to do and he does the things he doesn't want to do. And there's this battle going on inside of him and people debate. They say, well, maybe... He's just talking about his life before becoming a Christian. But we believe, and others believe, that no, he is actually describing the Christian life. The life of struggling, of being at the same time justified and a sinner. And he says in, there in Romans 7, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I remember uh, wrestling on TV as a kid. I, I grew up in a time where that was like a big deal. And my dad and my uncles watched wrestling all the time. And like these really iconic wrestlers like Hulk Hogan. And um, uh, you had, uh, um, who was the big tall guy? Like really huge. Andre the Giant, right? And Ric Flair. And um, my favorite wrestler out of all of them was uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Right, and, uh, and I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about wrestling, and uh, and I thought, you know what is really macho? What's really macho is to confess your sin to Jesus, um, to confess to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. 
The wrestler who can do that is the wrestler who wins the match. It's time to return. It's time to come home. It's time to confess your sinfulness and ask Jesus Christ for grace and he will freely give it. Okay, third and finally, round three. I wish I had a bell that I could ring, right? Round three, wrestling with God from strutting to limping. From strutting to limping. Okay, kids, do you know what uh, strutting is? What is strutting? Do you know what strutting looks like? I'm going to show you. Okay, when you strut, like, you're like, like, yeah, like strutting. Like, Like, I'm the man, right? Like, strut down the street. Now, do I look cool or not cool? (laughs) It looks really ridiculous, right? When you strut. And yet, can I tell you something? We adults do it all the time. How ridiculous and silly it looks, right? For people who've been saved by grace to strut around with pride. Um, did you, did you see what happened to Jacob? It says that um, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping right, because of his hip, limping. Every day of his life from that day forward, everywhere Jacob went, he limped. It was a reminder to him of this encounter that he had had with God. Jesus gave Jacob a dislocated hip. In the New Testament, Jesus gave the apostle Paul a thorn in the flesh. Scholars debate about what the thorn in the flesh was. We're not really sure. It could have been some psychological thing like grief over his past um, or a strong temptation. Could have been the enemies that he constantly faced. Could have been poor eyesight, speech impediment, migraines. Could have been some kind of demonic harassment. Whatever it was, Jesus gave Paul this thing so that he learned that he shouldn't strut around as the apostle Paul. He should limp as the chief of sinners. And Paul says, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, Scott Sauls is a pastor in Nashville. He said this, he said, suffering has a way of equipping us to be the best expressions of God's compassion and grace. It has a way of equipping us to love and lead in ways that are helpful and not harmful. A healer who has not been wounded is extremely limited in his or her ability to heal. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. Limping means walking in humility. That's what it means. Micah said, he's told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly, limp. When you return home, 
when you come back to God, don't be surprised when he gives you a limp. Because limping is the way of Jesus. Jesus, who won the victory for us, not through strength, but through weakness. Not by being served, but by serving and giving up his life. So it's time to return. It's time to come home. It's time to embrace a life of joyful limping. After this wrestling match with God, Jacob is never the same. He's transformed. He's changed. He's a new man. He approaches God and life completely different. And we see that. He says in the passage, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Uh, he says later, he, he meets Esau, and, um, uh, and I believe by God's grace, he softens Esau's heart, and Esau doesn't kill him. In fact, when he meets Esau, Esau begins to weep, and they weep and they embrace. And, uh, and, and Esau says, why did you send all this stuff? What is all this? What is the meaning? I don't need all this. Why did you send all these gifts? And Jacob, as the schemer, could have seen that as an opportunity to be like, oh, my bad, I'll take him back, right? But instead, he says, I want you to keep it. I want you to keep it because God has dealt graciously with me. That's what he says, right? God has dealt graciously with me. He's experienced the grace of God. Later on, after he meets Esau, he goes through the promised land, and uh, the passage says there on the screen that um, uh, one more, two more, one more. Uh, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. He's now in the land. And on his way from Padam Aram, he camped before the city and the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father. He bought from them 100 pieces for 100 pieces of money, the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There in this land that he had returned to, he created an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. He goes into the promised land, he builds an altar, and he says, God, you are my God. He's changed. Um, There's a movie, uh, it's based off a book. It's called, uh, it's an old movie, it's called The Color Purple. And in this movie, it tells a story of uh, a community um, in the South uh, in the early 1900s. And uh, this, this small community, there's a church with a pastor there, and this, this pastor, Pastor Avery, and he has a daughter named Shug. And uh, Shug goes off and lives a rebellious life. And, uh, and, and as she grows up, you know, kind of runs away, and, and, um, but doesn't run that far. In fact, she becomes a singer at a, um, uh, at, at uh, like the local tavern, the the place where everyone just gathers instead of going to church on Sunday, they go there to party and she becomes the, the, the singer. It's just like a hundred yards away from the church where she grew up. And one Sunday evening, uh, she's out there singing and they're having a service in the church and her dad is preaching a sermon on the prodigal son. And, uh, and the choir begins to sing a hymn and, uh, and as they sing this hymn, the, the, the music from the hymn uh, drifts out into 
where Suge is, and she hears it, and she hears this hymn that she grew up singing as a child, and something happens to her. And, uh, and here's the, the clip. I'm keeping my eyes on you. I bet you think I don't know nothing. All of us have been prodigal children one time or another. And I tell you, children, it's possible for the Lord to drive you home. But he can drive you home to truth. And he can fix it for you if you trust him. Shh, let's see. God's trying to tell you something. Oh, sing God's trying to tell you something. Sing God's trying to tell you something.
see, Daddy, sinners have soul, too. love the hymn that they sing, right? Maybe God is trying to tell you something. And I believe maybe God is trying to tell you something this morning. Same thing he told Jacob. It's time to return. It's time to come home. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.